Hi everyone, welcome to STEPS audio channel. We are very excited to share our content from STEPS events to learn all about the latest trends in startups, digital media, fintech, future tech, and wellness in emerging markets. You can find us on Enagami, Spotify, and Apple Podcasts. Make sure to subscribe to your favorite channel and we hope you enjoy the content. A very good morning and uh, it's great to be back at STEP. Um, please join me in congratulating STEP for bringing this great event back after a lapse of a couple of years. Uh, thank you, uh, Philip, for the amazing insights. Uh, really eye-opening in terms of the data that you shared, uh, which gives me the right segue into the next topic, which is uh, the world is looking into the MENA region specifically as emerging markets. And I want to bring it on a panel to talk a little bit about what the opportunities are, what are the challenges, as well as what they see are the different nuance different between each market. So joining me on stage is firstly, Amal Doklam from Founder Global. Please uh, put your hands together for that. Uh, Shari Ravi Shankar from Sequoia. Walid Faza from KSA Capital. And uh, JN Ara from Catalyst Labs. Please join us. <laughs> well, very good morning, panelists, and uh, thank you for joining me as well. And uh, great to see you guys. And uh, how about we start with a very brief introduction of yourselves and your organizations. I think many of you don't need uh, a lot of uh, introduction as such your household names, but uh, for the benefit of the crowd, let's kick off with you, Walid, and we'll just go around the sofa. Sure. Um, hi, everyone. My name is Walid Faza. I'm a partner at MSA Capital. MSA Capital is a Chinese venture capital fund, $2 billion of assets under management, four funds in China, and this is the first emerging markets funds that we have uh, started to invest in into emerging markets, including Latin America, Southeast Asia, the Middle East, and Africa. Jen? Uh, yeah, my name is Jahan Ara. I am the founder of Catalyst Labs, which is an accelerator and a women leadership fellows uh, initiative. Uh, I've been part of the Pakistan startup ecosystem for the last, I think, 10 years. I started an incubator um, in 2015, which I ran for six years. And before that, I've also been part of the tech ecosystem for the last 20 years. So Pakistan is where I'm at but I travel globally and connect as many of the startups and investors as I possibly can. Super excited about what's happening in Pakistan right now. Thank you for joining us. Hi, uh, my name is G.V. Ravishankar. I represent Sequoia Capital. We are a global venture capital and early growth equity firm. Uh, I'm a partner at the India-Southeast Asia business, which uh, has been around for now 16 plus years, and I've been at the firm for 16 years as well. And I recently moved to Dubai and, and kind of started looking at this ecosystem amongst other things that I do. And I'm super excited to see what's going on here and be a part of the story. And I would wish that this could be a home for a long time. <laughs> time will tell. <laughs> Thank you. Uh, my name is Amal Khan. I'm a partner at 500 Global. 500 Global, previously known as 500 Startups, actually it's a San Francisco-based company. It's a venture fund. We invest through accelerator programs, but we also have our own funds where we invest directly. We're present at you know, uh, funds in LATAM and Southeast Asia, and uh, recently added the Sanabin 500 Seed Accelerator, headquartered in Riyadh, but we invest in the MENA region. 
we basically look for pre-seed and seed stage uh, companies to invest in. So very excited to be here, looking forward to speaking to a lot of the entrepreneurs and a lot of the partners that facilitate our job, obviously, and value add to all of the entrepreneurs. A pleasure to be among this wonderful panel as well. Thank you, Amal. Thank you, well, great. Let's dive into it. Um, I guess with the exception of uh, Jehan, uh, the three of you represent global funds and specifically looking into coming to the Middle East to look for opportunities. Uh, let's open up the conversation with uh, what do you look at in terms of um, uh, the, uh, you know, how, how do you strategize your go-to-market strategy in terms of looking to invest, whether it's seeds, pre-seed, or later stage companies? Uh, speak to us with that in terms of how do you see uh, your strategy. Maybe we'll take it from Amal first. Different markets, obviously, 500 looks for markets that has concentration of talents, because that's what you look for. You look for founders and people that are willing to take the risk and go to the next level, obviously, in their ventures. And as I mentioned, there's different funds, but MENA region in particular, 500 have invested its first, actually, deal in 2012. So we're not new to the region, but it took time where we started, you know, different fonts, and now we have the Sanaba. So definitely that kind of, uh, you know, found constant founders concentration, and then you want an exciting market, basically, where they can test, where they can prototype, where they are able to evolve really and scale, hopefully with time and grow their businesses. And another thing, obviously, is the availability of liquidity. Because you want them when we fund them at pre-seed and seed stage, hopefully they find a little bit of downstream capital. And that we're seeing actually in the MENA region a lot where it's evolving. And I think the last point I would say, the signs and the positive signs of the movement of regulatory aspects where they move you know, with the founders. So I think all of those, if they are at an early stage, we could be a player so early because we can participate in that. I think in the previous session, Mr. Amar mentioned how accelerators can actually work with the government closely to facilitate yeah. that, convey the message. And that's a role we play with most of the accelerator programs. We could lobby with them, we could basically transfer that message, and obviously cultivate the relationships at any entrepreneurial uh, ecosystem we exist in. So I think it's just being there, and what we call now our strategy is being hyper-local. So we set up teams, we set up funds, and we actually station there, so we have that overview in the different, actually, uh, countries in the region, and that will be the first step, obviously. I love well. this phrase, um, hyper-local, that you brought out. And I, <laughs> and I think that speaks to uh, the success of Founder Global, uh, where you specifically are looking to raise funds from the region and then focus investments in the region. Absolutely. And that differentiates you from other Absolutely. investment houses. Um, moving on to uh, GV, uh, you know, you've got tremendous experience uh, out in uh, uh, India and also Southeast Asia. Uh, speak to us about when you look at emerging markets, how is this region different from uh, the other two continents that you've been working with? Well, that's a great question. And <clears throat> so when we entered India, that was 2006, and it was a super early market just to contextualize that market then. We had probably 30 million internet users at that time, 2006. We had $700 per, per capita GDP, which is by all means a poor country. 
um, and definition of broadband was 256 kbps, which today none of us will touch if that's what's available from a telecom company, right? So things were super early when, when we came to India. Uh, but there was desire and ambition. And I want to kind of backtrack and say, and compare that to where we are here today. Of course, things are a lot more developed in the region, right? And so the first question that I had when I come, came to this region is, um, you know, so what should we look for? Like, what's the core intrinsic thing that we're looking for? Uh, and maybe a two-minute digression, but I want to talk about the story of a gentleman called Roger Bannister. He, he's credited as the first guy to run a mile under four minutes. Right? The four-minute mile is now popular, you know, was first broken in 1954. Right? Till then, it was considered impossible to do. You cannot run a mile in four minutes. And once he did it in 1954, now there are 1,400 people that have done since, and so now it's possible. Right? So it goes back to belief. So the question is, do people here, the founders here, believe that they can build large, global, world-beating companies, world-class companies? And if that belief is there, then all the other restrictions we talk about, market size, you know, all of that is real, but solvable. Talent, you know, all of this is solvable, right? So as we meet more founders, we're really looking to see whether people believe that they can build these large companies. And I'm, I'm kind of very happy to say, when I came in, I was like, hey, you know, will ambition be an issue in this market? Because we've seen that in the past in India. We've seen that in Southeast Asia. That ambition in the early days is an issue because they've not really seen other people having done it. Thankfully, here you have example in Kareem and, you know, the fact that you can build a three, four billion dollar company and they're still building. Uh, so, you know, you start to see people have that belief. And so, for me at least, that's really the core ingredient. So, it starts with belief. And, uh, you know, but there are challenges. We all know each market is kind of a silo. It's not like you start here and it just naturally progresses everywhere. You have to solve for individual markets. Dubai, of course, is different from Saudi, is different from Egypt. And while founders are not talking about this as a region, you still have to succeed in each market with its own nuances, cultural uh, you know, differences, and so on. So I think that's number one challenge uh, people have to overcome. Second is just talent density. And, and you know, to Amal's point, she mentioned this point, but it's important to find the depth of talent. And you know, for us as Sequoia, whenever we go into a market, we do look for density of tech talent in particular, because those are the people that will step out and build. And you want those builders, not just the business MBA types, went to Harvard, came back, it's all good, but unless you have the core problem-solving ability to build yourselves, you know, write the first piece of code, we have a challenge. So the deeper that market becomes, the better it is for this uh, ecosystem. And so I know a lot of initiatives going on from the government to kind of get more coders and more developers in the ecosystem. I think that's great, and more of it needs to be done for us to see the depth, right? And, you know, the last thing is, of course, exits, but I worry a little bit less about exits. And you know, and because I've spent 16 years in India, and we had the same question in India for the first 10, 12, 13 years, saying, hey, where are the exits? Where are the exits? We haven't seen the tech IPOs and so on. The fundamental insight we came to is, look, exits will happen when companies of scale are, scale are built. right? So first, try and achieve a 100 million revenue company. If you have a 100 million revenue company, that's some benchmark. Right? And once you get there, exit doors open up, whether it's uh, you know, global companies interested in those companies of scale, or you know, public markets receiving you favorably because you've proven something, but build companies of scale. And today, you know, in India, we see, well, last year we had 80, 80, or as of now, we have 81 private unicorns, and that number keeps going up every day, so I don't, I don't track particularly. But you know, these things are possible because companies of scale are getting built. So it's really about that. So exit gets taken care of uh, over a period of time, but really it comes back to saying, do you have the belief? Can you solve the problems of uh, multiple markets and, uh, you know, and talent? If I may, I mean, we talk about, uh, say, seeking an opportunity to invest in a startup. We look at the $100 million threshold as an opportunity. 
But perhaps India, if I can argue, is not a fair comparison because just at its sheer size, scale, and uh, market opportunities when you compare to, say, this part of the world. And I think uh, the MENA region is a lot more fragmented. Perhaps Southeast Asia could be a more, a more comparable uh, you know, match. Uh, so speak to us a little bit about you know, what, what still excites you if uh, the markets here may not potentially find companies of that scale or scalability. Um, so one observation we have in markets that are not particularly deep is companies have to build multiple things as a platform, right? So you take somebody like Gojek in, in Indonesia, which is now go-to after the merger with Tokopedia. They built a super app, much like Kareem was trying to build it today here. So this kind of behavior where you don't have specific segments having very, very large companies, but a few things being done by the first few platform companies that emerge, I think that opportunity is real, right? So clearly, you know, if somebody can start somewhere and then say, hey, I'm going to use the initial success to do more things, I think we, we think that kind of company can be built yeah. or similar models can be built, uh, whether it's super app or even if you're a SaaS company, you can, you know, build on adjacencies, et cetera, right? Uh, the reason it's interesting is I do think, uh, unlike India or China, where there is this large market, but there's also like 50 companies doing the same thing, right? right. You start something and the third day, you know, talk about IP protection, there's nothing, right? Like everybody else is doing the same thing. And so um, you will see significant competition. And I think India's okay, China's even worse in terms of just the, the bloodbath when it comes to kind of yes. company building, just everybody doing the same thing, right? So a market like this will unlikely, you know, it's unlikely to go that direction because yeah. There are fewer companies, there's just fewer talent, there's fewer capital, a few capital. So capital will only go to a few companies and that will be a differentiator to start okay. with. Those people with capital will attract the talent that uh, you need to build those great companies. And so to that extent, you may have smaller markets, but probably larger share of the market. Right. And so that's at least our hypothesis. You know, we may be proven wrong. I don't know, we're still too early. I wouldn't say we know anything yet, but uh, hopefully it plays out that way and that's the better way of placing it. I'm marking every word you said, so we'll <laughs> check on you in a few years. Sure. Well, if I can come to you, uh, when you look at, say, uh, China, for example, uh, it's hyper-competitive. Uh, to, to GV's point, you know, when you look at the, uh, an idea that's out in the market within, within a day, you get a thousand companies doing the same thing. Looking into this region, uh, how do you find that similar uh, opportunity, if not rate of return, from an investor? So I, I agree totally. China is a bloodbath uh, when it comes to something that works, and everybody tries to replicate things. So um, we've been fortunate enough to back the industry leaders in a lot of different sectors in China, and that melting pot has basically allowed us to almost have a crystal ball and see what works in the future if we look at emerging markets, right? So if we focus on FinTech or if we focus on logistics, you know, having a company survive and scale successfully in such a difficult market as China tells you that that business model works. Mm -hmm. Now I'm not saying that we can copy and paste that into emerging markets because of the intricacies of each of the conundrums that you have and the cultural differences that you have in emerging markets, but at least it gives us an insight in terms of mobile first, fintech, what is working uh, at scale, right? So we have the Chinese lens that we kind of look at emerging markets. And we took a conscious decision to come to the Middle East and Africa because it's kind of the uh, cheaper tech real estate that you can get into very quickly at valuations that kind of make sense compared to what's happening in India and other places. Clearly, we came in around two and a half years ago. Now we see valuations skyrocket. And that was our part of our thesis was, okay, there's a gap in a Series B, so we want to come in and put bigger checks. 
But then when the valuations went up, we kind of took a step back and said, wait, hold on, we have to come in earlier now. So now MSA does a multi-stage um, uh, strategy that we can do tickets of 50K and we can do tickets of $10 million and above. So that gives us the big pockets to do that. Right. And we really think we can bring a lot of um, expertise and know-how through our technology. So cheap off-the-shelf technology, helping startups in emerging markets get to where they need to go. Plus, something that worked to our advantage, which I was a little bit shocked about, is that you know, saying China um, was kind of sexy because a lot of people don't understand what's happening in the Chinese ecosystem and it's kind of unknown, but they've got these monster Alipays and JDs and, and Taobao and everything else. So when we come in and say, we want to come into your cap table, we want to sit on your board, we want to help you grow, it's worked really well for us. So companies in Latin America have a lot of US investors, but then the, you know, they want to be the Meituan of, and they want to be the pin duo duo of, and, and that's why we'd like to, uh, that's why it helped us out. So we think that there is fantastic knowledge to be transferred from what we've seen. Um, and we think it's really exciting. And so far in the two and a half years, we've invested in 43 companies and our returns are you know, much more than we had expected. But we had to maneuver a little bit and be flexible in order to fit what each of the countries need. Right. You brought valuations and something I'd like to come back to you um, and, and the panel about just about comparable with other regions. But in the meantime, do take credit for spoiling the market. Uh, Jan, if I can uh, come to you, Pakistan, is one of the most exciting markets as far as we see in the region sitting here right now. Um, but you are a homegrown um, you know, uh, accelerator investing in local companies. Speak to us, what excites you as you see the opportunities right now? So we already have a, a very diverse set of founders within the country. We have a lot of people who are excited about technology and now because of what's been happening in the US, people have started to move back from the US founders with a lot of experience who were working for large companies perhaps and are now uh, you know, trying to test the ground as far as the startup ecosystem is concerned. So they are forming companies. Then we have alumni, so to speak, from Kareem that set up a huge operation there. From the early days of 2012, 2013, we had Food Panda and the Raz. So people who you worked for those companies and helped them scale are now forming their own companies and taking them to the next level. So I think that's what's exciting because there is experience, there is global experience, there is experience of large startups, and now they are training the next generation to come and join them. Um, the only thing that worries me is there's still not enough women who are taking uh, the leap of faith and actually starting companies. But we're getting there. We're getting there. We're finding uh, women not only uh, in the traditional space where people think, oh, they'll start a fashion startup or something to do with anything glamorous. No, there are women who are founding fintech companies. There are women who are getting into the edtech and health tech space. So, uh, you know, Pakistan being a big country in this region has a lot of problems. And entrepreneurs are very good at trying to solve those problems. So you're finding, yes, fintech is a big play right now, but also edtech and health tech. And also you're seeing a lot of uh, quick commerce companies, 
you know, the pandemic has sort of forced a lot of people to look at, um, you know, what they can do online. Digitization still hasn't happened completely in Pakistan, but this has pushed people online to try and do things that they would otherwise never have. You know, even personally, I would never have thought of buying groceries online. I like to look at the fruit and the vegetables and, and buy them. But then once I started, now I see the convenience, I see the kind of quality that is being delivered, and yeah, now, you know, now I can do it and I am doing it. And, you know, it's not limited to just the big cities in Pakistan. Now you're seeing smaller cities get in on the act. You're seeing the rural sector also getting in. Agriculture is a huge, uh, um, area which needs technology to disrupt it. We're seeing that happen. So there was this, there's this young man who came back from the US, went through a very expensive education and then decided to go into agriculture and his, his father said, hey, you know, tell me, you know, we've spent so much money on your education and now you want to become a farmer? But not a farmer, it's, it's, a, it's a startup called Taza, which is looking at the agri-tech space. They've just raised $2 million, so hey, it can and is being done. So I think we're sort of disrupting what people considered that you were capable of doing. If you graduated from Stanford or MIT or one of those Ivy League uh, colleges, uh, everybody thought you would go into a multinational or you were, you know, work for one of the big companies, but now, yeah. They're getting into he's a, farming. He's a tech farmer. <laughs> he's a tech farmer. <laughs> um, so I, I want, uh, given that we don't have much time, I, I want to um, uh, talk about risks. How do you see, as investors, uh, risks in the market, the marketplace that you operate in? But if I can frame this a bit broader, uh, while you touch about valuations, I think there's a concern about the inflation of uh, valuation of companies that we've seen unprecedented increase in the last couple of years here, but also it's a global phenomena. Um, but also, you know, we have um, inflationary pressures, both in terms of costs of uh, operations. We also have uh, currency exposures. Uh, we have uh, regulation that's changing, taxation's coming into uh, this country, for example. Uh, what comes to mind when you think about risks in investing in emerging markets? And I'll just open up the panel. Maybe, Amal, you want to kick it off? And I think I'd probably take it back to talent. So what we're seeing that today, you know, there's, there's a war of talent, obviously, you know, among, you know, startups. So at the beginning, you have the excited founders that started the journeys, and then we're seeing also a different breed of founders. So you see the corporates, you know, corporate people quitting their jobs and because they're seeing the excitement, you know, in the MENA region, and they're starting their ventures. But then comes a time where, you know, these startups would start facing issues where the talent is poached by other companies or poached by corporates or poached by big organizations because now they're emerging. So I think that's one of the biggest issues that I see with a lot of the founders today is how do I maintain the talent that I have acquired at the beginning and really keep them incentivized? EASOPS is one way, obviously, but is it enough? I mean, and, and that's a question that's coming up, I think, a lot. The second part that goes also down under the talent is the tech talent. So again, is there enough tech people available really to develop? And you know, as you mentioned rightly, you need the core team, 
you know, to have a tech yeah. person to really scale, right? And, and that's an issue that we're also seeing, you know, that there isn't enough, should be outsourced at the beginning, you know, should we really attract others and see would they stay? So, so that component, I see it as one of the very, very big ones, really, that we notice a lot with the startups. And obviously, um, you know, the valuation story can go on and on, but but today, it's because of there is also an inflation and liquidity, right? And there is a lot of cash in the market, you know, especially in the MENA, then the funds are really, you know, if what's happening, we're all looking at the same deal flow. I right. think that's how I would put it. You see a lot of companies are applying to multiple so funds So I'm hearing a couple of things. Talent is obviously uh, a big issue, particularly on the tech yeah. side, uh, t technical side, but also in terms of pipeline or yeah. deal flows. So, GB, what's your, your take on this? At least coming up from our perspective, the biggest risk is that people don't um, deliver to potential. And um, to me, um, there is this massive opportunity ahead in the region. Now, there are a few ways that may not play out. Um, you know, talent density, some of that is one. I think, you know, government can do a lot to kind of help on that and encourage people. I do see, uh, in a good way, there's lots of competition in this geography between different countries. It's a good thing. Uh, but we have to be careful about that to not create these, you know, walls around the country in a way that, you know, the Dubai startup can't succeed in somewhere else and that company, that startup can't succeed in Saudi, Saudi startup can't succeed. You need the region to work together for you to build a large company. Otherwise, you will have small companies, small outcomes, which means you will not have enough capital coming in. I see that as a risk. Um, I see a lot of positive in the competition, but we should just keep it healthy. I think that that would be nice to see uh, if there's a way for people to cooperate and make sure this region succeeds. Um, I'd say that's uh, that's one in my mind. Um, uh, you know, and I, eventually, look, capital is a big enabler, and you will have to attract capital into the region for companies to grow. And I can tell you, from the limited time I've spent here, it's a huge advantage if you are a startup in this region, whether Dubai or Saudi, capital access is a lot easier. If you're in Egypt, it's harder, right? And uh, you know, we have at least seen a couple of instances where really good founders uh, end up taking strategic capital, et cetera, because just Series Bs and Series E are not easily available. So um, now, so those are things that have to be solved at scale, especially again, if people are to think about it as a region and come together to solve these problems. Fantastic. And from you, Jay, from your perspective in Pakistan, so I think Pakistan, um, there are a lot of risks whenever you're at an early stage of growth. But at the same time, there are a lot of opportunities. And you're seeing that startups that are starting out now are starting in multiple destinations. So they're not restricting themselves to Pakistan. They're also going to South Africa. They're going coming to Dubai. They're com coming to Saudi. And they are collaborating. So that, I think, is a very good sign. And talent, again, uh, I agree with Amal, T talent is something that needs to be continuously developed. And our government as well is working on it, the private sector is working on it, because we realize it needs to be done. There's never been enough jobs in, in countries like Pakistan, so entrepreneurship is it. Mm. And uh, it is the hope for a lot of people. And uh, I think the fact that we are starting to, to go regional from the get-go is a great sign. All right, thank you. Well. So I think the biggest risk is people not having patience. Um, it's been a Cinderella story so far in the Middle East. Uh, I've been in the venture capital space for 12 years, and what we're seeing now in terms of companies and valuations and funds and, and money and international uh, VCs coming in is absolutely fantastic. But basic business sense tells you that things go in cycles. 
And I'm really scared that a lot of the VCs and a lot of the companies will not be able to weather the storm that's eventually going to come. So this is not sustainable the way that it is. It's great. We should all celebrate and we should be very proud of everything that we've done over the past decade. But as business acumen says, that there will be a downside and then we'll come back up again. And between those two points, you need patience and you need grit and you need to be able to, to wait it out, both on the investment side and on the entrepreneur side. So I think, you know, there's the geopolitical risk and there's the currency risk and sure, we suffer all of these things, but being a tech investor in some place like emerging markets in the MENA region, you accept that. You understand that that's part of your culture, that's part of your life. You have to live with it. You can't wait on the sidelines until you get, you know, peace, love and prosperity for you to, to invest. It's never going to happen. But um, on top of all of that, I really, I really think uh, that there's an onus on the global uh, 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 funds that are coming in to really be very mindful about what's happening. You can't take a business model that has X valuation in the States or in India these days and then just benchmark it to someone in MENA because of the fragmented market, because of the different KPIs that we have to use here. So there's an onus on us to say, you know, hold on. We have to really mimer, uh, mimic this and, and put a lens on it for MENA and let it grow. We have the conundrums of having a fragmented market, but I think the way to do it is a lot of M&A activity and consolidation. Right. So you have the same company, and we see that as MSA. Part of our strategy, we've invested in the same uh, sort of business model in Nigeria, in Egypt, uh, in Latin America, and in Saudi Arabia. And we think that you know, there needs to be consolidation so that we can get the bigger companies to come in and say, actually, this makes sense now. Right. Right. So patience is my number one. If we can, if we can wait it out, I think we'll get to where we need to go. And I think what I'm picking up is also that you know this is not sustainable in terms of the rapid increase of so. valuations. I think we all seem to be in agreement with that. In closing, if I can get 30 seconds from each of you, where do you see is the biggest? Uh, uh, excitement for you in terms of interest, whether it's uh, a sector, um, you know, a, a, a particular market, or a particular stage of investments, as you as you look into your uh, thesis right now. So we'll just we'll just go around the sofa very quickly. Yeah, look, the Middle East makes sense for us. Specifically, Con consumer spending is higher. It just makes sense, and we like fintech because we kind of have that pedigree, and we think we can. I know a lot of people have used this word, but we can actually leapfrog and, to. And can I double down on specific markets, uh, Walid? Yeah, no, I think consolidation is the play, but definitely what's happening in Egypt, what's happening in Saudi. No company will be able to exit if they haven't looked at Egypt and Saudi, in my opinion, right. in the region. So Great. that's that's a big. Jen, one. your excitement for a certain sector. All segments are growing right now, so they're all exciting. FinTech, there's a lot going on because payments has been a challenge um, from the beginning. But regulation has changed. Uh, the regulators are all listening. They see the potential. So I think we'll see much more growth in FinTech, but right. a little bit of consolidation. But also EdTech. EdTech, I think, is something that I see right. uh, growing. Thank you. JB? Fintech and commerce, and is there a specific geo, geo market that you... Uh, I, I recently was in Riyadh, so I'm going to say Saudi. <laughs> Dr. Nabil should be happy. <laughs> I think uh, Saudi has left a, a lasting impression since you were there two weeks ago. Amal? Well, 
I'll, I'll bet on markets, you know, that the, and the founders in the markets are obviously in Saudi, but also we're looking at, you know, what's happening in the whole region, so, and the attraction, you know, between Saudi, you know, vice versa, the other ones. So, my bet on the evolution of this market and the speed of it. I've been in the ecosystem for the past decade. I can tell you, today, we don't sleep from the excitement. And I, I speak on behalf of everyone in MENA, looking at deals, looking at the yeah. funds, following news. So, you're one of us as well, so now. So, yeah, we bet on the market and the founders that are going to make it happen, yeah. and we're seeing the success already. Yeah, great words. I think that summarized the optimism yeah. uh, for us in the ecosystem. That being said, thank you very much, panelists, uh, Walid, Ehan, GV, and Amal. Round of applause for them, please. Thank you, so much. thank you. Thank you for tuning in. We hope you enjoyed the episode. You can find our content on Anagami, Spotify, and Apple Podcast. Follow us on social media at Step Conference, and let's stay in touch.